the teachings of the apostles, or the catechism of the early church. Join Pastor Hook in today's teaching of the Didache. Um, we are going to move to the Didache. And uh, we left yesterday talking about discipline. And I, I didn't want to leave it there because we I was talking about how I was given corporal punishment and I thought that that was appropriate for me, how corporal punishment, which is basically spanking your kids, isn't uh, recommended today. And, um, you know, I'm not going to get into that. But I did want to say that um, it does, there is something about that, though, that I wanted to, to mention. We created uh, a human beings. We looked about this in Genesis, right? Or uh, There's three areas of our, of our existence, right? There's our there's our body, our physical presence, our body. There's our mind, and there's our emotions. Uh, we, we looked at this, um, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. If you go back and you look at those words, it really does kind of cover the three centers of, of a human person. The, the physical, the, you know, the, the physical presence, our bodies, our minds, and our emotions. And all three of those make up a human. So when you are, I was thinking about this yesterday after we were talking about discipline, because I've seen, I've seen parents kind of discipline. They kind of go to a discipline center, and I think it's it's interesting. So for example, uh, some parents might you know punish the child, put them in timeout, maybe even spank a child, you know, do something physical uh, as a punishment for wrongdoing. Other parents might try to sit down and intellectualize with their children. Do you see what you did? Do you see why it's wrong? These are wrong things. We don't do that sort of thing. Uh, and then other parents go to the emotional center. They might say, when you did that, it made mommy feel sad. Or when you did that, it made, made Joshua feel sad um, or whatever. And I think a good way to treat any kind of discipline is maybe to process all three of the centers. Um, to look at it intellectually, like why we don't do this, you know, engage a child's brain or en engage a child's emotions. You know, we don't we don't do that because it makes other people feel bad. It makes us feel bad. You know, it, it, how do we feel when we do those things? And there may be times when we actually do a physical thing where we say, um, you know, you have done this. So we're going to take your toy away or we're going to put you in time out or we're going to take your phone away or uh what was the popular one from uh, from a few years ago for a teenage, you know, teenager? We're going to take your door off. <laughs> Never did that one, but apparently was highly effective because teenagers, you know, one of the things they want to do is to, you know, hide themselves in their room, you know, and pout or be angry or whatever, you know, isolate themselves. So when you take off the door, they can't isolate, you know, that which is just horrible for a teenager. So but that's a physical thing, right? So um Maybe the healthiest way to discipline is to uh, actually engage all three centers of the brain, you know, of our body, our, our, our physical presence, our emotional presence, and our uh, intellectual presence, and process discipline in all three areas. And maybe that's the healthiest way to discipline children. I don't know. Um, I feel grateful personally that my mother operated in the physical <laughs> for me seemed to work well for me. I got the message, um, but maybe maybe I would have turned out different if she'd have processed, uh, you know, in a couple different areas. I don't know, and uh, I and I don't know. I mean, I just don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but I do know 
that one of the things that we have to do with our children is to let them know when they are doing wrong and to um, process some form of discipline with them. And, uh, th and then the other thing I wanted to say is that there just really is no right or wrong. You, you know, every parent has their own set of emotions where their, you know, mind, intellect, body, that where in their history, where they're, where they're coming from in a discipline standpoint, what they want their children to be disciplined for. Uh, and then every child has just different styles of, of existing as a child. Some child children respond better than others to different areas of discipline. So no parent should ever feel judged by another parent. Uh, this is a right, a God-given right that God has given every parent is that you get to discipline your children. You get to raise them in the way you believe that God has called you to raise them. Uh, and I believe that is just a very sacred thing uh, for parents. Now, I mean, I, I know that there are some parents that mess up and they do the wrong thing. And then, the you know, the Department of what, Children, Child Services, DCS or whatever gets gets involved. And um, that can change, uh, you know, that can change the equation immensely. Um and uh, so, you know, there, there is some level of responsibility that we have to all children in our society. But in my book, you know, the parent is always the first, you know, line of defense in anything when it comes to the family. And that you should intervene only over under, you know, extremely, extremely, extremely dire circumstances. Um, you know, it's better instead of intervening, maybe better, you know, to do some training or coaching for a while and then intervene. I don't know. But, but anyway, so, uh, I wanted to mention that because we, we talked about that yesterday and I'll tell you why we talked about that. It was verse nine of chapter four, which says thou shalt not withhold thine hand from thy son or from thy daughter, but thou shalt teach them the fear of God from their youth up, um, and that's, that's kind of how we got into this whole thing on, on discipline because there are lots and lots of verses in Scripture that says that a parent is to discipline, to train up, to lead, to guide, to protect children. And, uh, and that is a parent's primary responsibility. And so every, every parent does that. And honestly, that is the greatest joy I think that we have as parents is to raise our children, to, to train them in the way that we would like them, you know, the people that we want them to be. Um, training a child is a very, 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 very one-on-one -on -one activity. And, um, uh, it, you know, you ha somebody has to know the child, somebody has to lead the child, um, and, and, you know, parents are primarily responsible. All right. Um... Yeah, and uh, there was a book that came out. It was called It Takes a Village, and it was talking about how villages can raise children. I don't think that's bad either. Um, I think primary responsibility is the parent, but I do believe that parents should rely on other parents and other elders, other people in their life to help raise the children. Uh, we have a group at Christ in Bell called MOPS. It's a great group. It's been around for a number of years. Um, I don't know, 40 or 50 families involved in MOPS. And um, they get together once a month and they help each other out in parenting and then they do other things together. And I think that is such a great village to raise children with too. Because, uh, And I think one year their motto was no parent should parent alone or something like that. I mean, 
because it is difficult. And the amount of stuff that it takes to parent today is just so challenging and overwhelming and it changes so quickly and so rapidly. And there's so many opportunities and new research and, and things that it's just, it's just one of those things that's a whole lot easier if you have another group of people helping you parent. But regardless of that, um, it, is, it is important that you do train, raise, guide, direct our children. That is a gift from God. But we're going to go on now. We're going to go to verse 10, which is the second line from down from the top. And it reads like this. Thou shalt not command in thy bitterness thy slave or thy handmaid who hope in the same God, lest they cease to fear the God who is over you both. For he comes not to call men with respect of persons, but those whom the Spirit has prepared. So this is fascinating also. Because we have in the Didache a description about slavery or servants. Um, the, the word here, I'm pretty sure the word is probably doulos, which is a slave or a servant. Um, whenever we see the word slave, we immediately think of um, American slavery, which was a horrid, horrid, horrid pra practice where we had people who are very powerful using guns and weapons and ships to go over to Africa to raid tribes, to you know, rip away uh, you know, these people from their tribe and put them on a ship and bring them over to the United States where they worked hard labor in the fields. Um, and that was a horrible, horrible, horrible thing and should never, ever occur. But slavery has actually looked different throughout time. And um, there, there have been times when people have actually even sold themselves into slavery like let's say they get into a debt that they overextend themselves and they, or they, 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 for whatever reason, the law requires them to make a payment to somebody else. Maybe they, they damage somebody else's property and then that person takes them to court. You know, I'm talking about thousands of years ago and the, the court would say, yes, you owe restitution. And let's say you don't even have money for that restitution. Well, you might sell yourself into slavery for a period of time to work on that person's farm to work out that debt, you know, on the physical level uh, for ransom for your sin, if you want to say. And then, um, and then you would be, you know, you would be out of debt because uh, different cultures over time have looked at slavery differently. And we immediately, when we think of slavery, jump to the horrid practice of slavery here in the United States. But, um, it wasn't necessarily always like that in slavery in previous years, you know, millennia ago. People might have even volunteered to go into slavery. Um, you might have had people go into slavery for a bunch of different reasons. In the Roman Empire, there were different levels of slaves. There were, there were slaves that almost acted like, you know, they, were, they had families, they had their own housing, they could pretty much do what they wanted to do, but they were slaves to maybe a high government official, you know, who told them exactly what they do. Um, you know, in, in respect, all of us who have a job are at some level in slavery to that job. I know slavery is a horrible name, but, you know, we are at will. We are free will employment, so we can leave that job whenever we want to. But while we're in the presence of our employer from, day, you know, in the daytime, we are responsible, um, 
not responsible. We're reportable. We're, we're, you know, we are under the direction and guidance of our employer, which is a form of servanthood or slavery or something like that. So obvious. So the, and the reason why I bring that up is that this, you know, every once in a while you'll see in scripture, a discussion about slavery. And, uh, there are a lot of people out there that say, oh, the Bible talks about slavery being okay. And so the, the slavery in the United States happened because slavery was okay in the Bible. And that is not true at all. There were very, very many guidelines in scripture about how a slave is to be treated. And uh, none of it happened in the early American slavery cartel or whatever you want to call it. Uh, it was a form of society that gathered together um, and it was, it, you know, it had its own different rules and regulations, but, but even, even though God discusses slavery in the Bible, the slavery that happened in the early American history is not at all the slavery that's mentioned in the Bible. And there were um, guidelines as far as how a person was to be treated, even if they were a slave. So um, you, you can't just say that slavery is justified in the Bible because it's not. American slavery was never justified in the Bible. It was never part of Scripture. Yes, there is a form of slavery that's included in Scripture, and there's discussions around that, but it has nothing to do with American slavery. And personally, I think that slavery, you know, it was good that slavery was completely wiped out across the world, although I don't know if it's completely. That'd be an interesting question. Is slavery wiped out completely across the world? Because there are still places in the world that have non Christian, Judeo-Christian values. We talked about this yesterday, and it would be interesting to know if they still practice slavery in some of those areas. Uh, you know, because we, we as a world, will go in and help some you know areas, but we don't always go in and completely reverse all their practices. Only if they're like really, really horrid. Um, I think about the Amazon tribes, you know, that have never seen a human being, you know, never seen modern culture and they're, they're being protected by Brazil, you know, and the, the governments over there. And, um, and, you know, do they practice slavery or have they practiced slavery? Are there places in the world that practice slavery? I don't think so, but, but that may be a very, very recent development. I don't know. But the fact that the Didache talks about slavery does not mean that slavery is okay. There was a, an, a slave called Onesimus, and uh, he was working for a guy named Philemon. This is at the time of the Paul, uh, Apostle Paul. And this slave named Philemon left his owner. He, you know, in the dark of night, uh, he left, and he somehow found his way in the company of Paul. And Paul, of course, being a follower of Jesus Christ, recognizes that all people have value women, children, slaves, everybody. Jesus Christ was the most, the word is egalitarian, but, but what it means is basically that all people before God are equal. So the Christian church today even preaches the most amazing and wonderful and fantastic practice, which is everybody is equal before God. Everybody's a child of God. It doesn't matter where you came from, uh, you know, the color of your skin, your background, your, your gender, um, your sex, uh, your economic 
education, anything. When you step foot into the kingdom of God, you are a child of God with all rights and privileges. There is no uh, apartheid. There is no uh, you know societal societal stratification. Once you get into the kingdom, everybody's equal. So this this slave named Onesimus finds himself uh, in the in the presence of Paul. And Paul's like, well, he's a runaway slave, but he's he's here with me. And so he starts teaching in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and Onesimus just comes on fire with Jesus, which is a wonderful thing. But then Paul says, I mean, this is so instructive for us. Paul doesn't, doesn't first say, I can't instruct you because you're a runaway slave. You need to go back and fix that first. No, Paul wants to attack the heart first. And so whenever we have anybody in our presence, that is in a major, major, major sin, you can't help them confront their sin alone. What you have to do is confront the heart first. And so you wrap your arms around them, like the woman at the well with Jesus, right? Jesus says, I am the living water. You know, I, Jesus didn't say, go back home and, and repair your life and then come talk to me. No, Jesus said, Here, I, am the, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the living water, you know, drink from my well. Um, and the same thing happened with Onesimus. Uh, Paul worked with Onesimus, taught him the gospel, helped him grow in his faith, and give him the strength. And he did this, actually. He said, okay, now you are strong enough. I see that you are able to fight the one battle you're going to have to fight in this life. And that is, in the left-hand kingdom, in the left-hand kingdom, you have to have a ransom for your sin. You have to make reparations. And so he writes a letter to uh, Onesimus's slave owner, his name was Philemon. He hands him the letter, and he sends the slave back to Philemon, to say, who was also a Christian man at that point, and said to say, "Listen, we know that Philemon left you, but he has been a great helper in the kingdom, uh, and we would like you to deal, you know, deal with him pleasantly." Uh, and so, with the letter in hand, uh, Onesimus goes back to Philemon. And um, I don't actually know what happened. I mean, we, don't, we only have the letter. We don't have actually what happened with Onesimus. But, uh, you know, it, it would be up to Philemon to say, you know, what the punishment would be. Um, but it also opens up Philemon's eyes that, that slaves are in the kingdom too. I mean, imagine 2,000 years ago having the Apostle Paul write to you to say, listen, this slave of yours is also in the kingdom. And um, so deal with him as a kingdom, a follower, follow, a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, very, very difficult. To, you know, Jesus Christ came to disrupt every norm and pattern in our world. Um, we, I talked about this yesterday. You know, we see a lot of people in the United States. We, try, we strive as a, as a country, the United States, that all men are created equal you know, in the sight of God. Well, where does that come from? That comes from our Judeo value Christians that all men are created equal um, because we are created equal in the sight of God. You know, once we're in the kingdom, we are, we are all same to, you know, to God. We are, we are his precious children. And um, even the United States, if you're not in the kingdom, God loves you. I mean, he cares for you. He gives you shelter and food and clothing and he loves you more than anything. He wants you to be you know, being in the kingdom is more about completing your life and becoming whole than it is about God's love because God loves all his creation. But what he really, really wants is for you to be made whole and you're not, in, you're not completely made whole 
until you're in the kingdom and your goal in life is to serve other people. That's, that's just the way it is. All right, so let's, uh, let's see here. That was verse, it was verse 10. Yeah, uh, they hope in the same God, these, these slaves. Now let's go to verse 11. But do you who are slaves be subject to your master as to God's representative in reverence and fear? But you who are slaves be subject to your master as to God's representative in reverence and fear. So uh, he's not wiping out slavery. He's telling slaves, listen, we live in this third kingdom. However you got into slavery, you still have to repay that debt of slavery or however that worked, you know, because some people were, you know, sold themselves into slavery. Some people sold themselves into slavery to repay somebody else's debt. I mean, there's a lot of different societal things. But what, what the early church believed and what Jesus taught is that you have to be subject to your master as to God's representative in reverence and fear. Whatever the societal stratification is, uh, you're required to follow that. The left-hand kingdom. Uh, there was a person that wanted to trip Jesus up and they said, you know, should we serve Caesar? Uh, you know, and, and Jesus said, well, give me a coin. He says, whose face on it? And they said, well, it's Caesar's face. And he says, well, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God. So that's a, you know, that's one of these things. Render to Caesar in the left-hand kingdom the things that are Caesar's, but render to God the things that are God. And where they intersect is you because each person has to figure out how we're going to do that, how I render to Caesar and how I render to God. So basically the same thing here. I just see nothing wrong with any of this stuff as long as you understand that nothing in here is condoning or promoting slavery. It's, it's kind of reacting to what, our, you know, what the system was of the day. Uh, so slaves are supposed to fear their master. All right. Uh, this is gonna take a while. I'm so sorry. But the good news is we have time because we have you know lots of time. We have every morning from here until eternity. Um, so I think we'll end it there. And uh, thank you for joining me this morning. I pray God's richest blessings. Um, we are going to um, get together tomorrow, which is Friday, and then we'll have the weekend and we'll get together again next week. So uh, as we end today, let's close in prayer. Uh, gracious God, thank you for today, for these teachings. Uh, thank you for your church. Lord, we lift up the Cooper family. Uh, in this tragedy in their in their lives. And we lift up our leaders, our youth leaders, and we lift up our youth. We pray and, and beg for your, for your presence, for your grace, your peace in this troubling and challenging time. And help us to see how we can show your love to the world around us. Uh, until we meet again tomorrow, keep us in your grace. In Jesus' name, 